Can I say we'll give it up? Jim Resnick, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Nice to have you here. Great to be here. First of all, I need to give you some props because some people bring a bottle of wine, <laughs> but you, my friend, brought an incredible bottle of rye, whistle pig, 10 year. It's delicious. It's it's the shit. It is the shit. Yeah, well, it's so good. I, I I brought it not just to be a good guest, but also, um, your. We have not played together that much. Just a couple times here and there. Yeah, but your music is just so strong. Oh, thanks. Your man. songwriting is on point. Thanks, man. and I love your shit. Thank you. Really do. That's two. That's two stars, Jim. You're off. We are <laughs> off to a good. We are off to a good start. now i did a little bit of facebook research and um so you grew up in new york yeah now hit me with kind of some early musical memories maybe a record that was really influential to you or just something that you know where you kind of came online with music well both my parents were are musical they're both still alive um my mother played classical piano she studied piano and my dad never studied anything, but he played the guitar. Mm-hmm. And he had a nylon string because the guitar around. And I, they forced me to take piano lessons at age six or something like that. Mm-hmm. And the music that they were teaching me, I hated. Mm. Shit like Little Caballero. Mm. Please. Awful. What is that? I, it just... Just uh, awful shit. Just not the thing that w- would be inspiring, let's say. It was it was nauseating. Yeah. Um, so I rebelled against that and discovered this guitar. Yeah. Uh, but as far as we're getting off track, your question was um, musical influence or, or the music that I remember. A record, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember um, having a little shitty record player, plastic record player. I don't even know what brand it was. Um, and there was a Carpenter's album. Uh-huh. And Montavani today. I don't know why. I don't even know what that is. And the Beatles record, the Beatles rock and roll, the compilation double album rock oh, and roll. Oh yeah. So, I I remember distinctly listening to the Carpenters and thinking, and I didn't have the vocabulary or right. the musical knowledge, but I knew that these vocals were mm-hmm. unfucking real. Mm-hmm. It, it stacked vocals, and I'm thinking, where are all these voices coming from, and why is it so beautiful? Huh. Karen, she was the voice, and I don't mean just literally the voice. Yeah, yes, but and the drummer, and she played drums, her ass yeah. up. I yep. mean, but Carpenter did all the arrangements. No shit. What the hell was his name? Chip. <laughs> <laughs> Chip Carpenter. Bruce. Yeah. Uh, so. But he went. You know, he later on after Karen died, he went on to do all these you know TV theme songs and worked with Mike Post yeah. and did all that shit. I'm sure he's very talented, but I remember Karen. Yeah, everyone because, does because she she would not only. A stunning talent, but beautiful and, and could play the play the drums. I mean, that was the first time that I saw a female drummer, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, yeah. and that was powerful. But what was the second thing that you said? Montavani today. <laughs> what the hell is that? Montavani was like this sort of Muzaki kind of dude. Okay. Um, a little more substantive than Muzak. Kind of... Um, Henry Mancini kind of stuff. Okay. And then the Beatles rock and roll. 
Yeah. So all, all the the rockin' hits. And okay, so that was a that was a compilation double, double album. album. I think it re- was released in '76 because the cover I remember the cover very distinctly. It was very mid '70s looking. It's so '76, so long after they ended. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. This yeah. was this was a label grab. Yes. This was a money grab. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And and what sort of tunes were on that? Oh, all all the rockin' stuff from very early stuff. Um. All the way through to to the very end, you know right. the the the, the um, Abbey Road medley was oh on there God. too, um, which yeah. which still, I mean, you you think about the musical journey that you take when you play the the medley on Abbey Road from start to finish is mind blowing. Yeah, that they did all that. You know, they they really weren't in one way they weren't really sophisticated musicians, but they really were. The end product, uh, the the melodies and the harmonies that that McCartney came up with in George Harrison. I mean, something something was was un, unreal I for mean, the time. How much of though? How, how much though of that was the producer? And why am I spacing on his name? George Martin. George Martin. I I think the cliche is true. I think he was the fifth Beatle. Yeah, no. I really do. No. And you know, Billy Preston too. Billy Preston. Actually, on the way down here, I was listening to the Beatles channel on Sirius mm. Satellite Radio, and uh, Peter Asher was playing mm. uh, two Brad Meldow interpretations of Beatles tunes. She said, she said, mm. and I forget the other one. Um, but I was so chuffed that that he played chuffed jazz. Lo- I, love I loved it. it. I love chuffed. <laughs> that that you know Peter Asher was playing these you know heavyweight this heavyweight jazz guy. On the Beatles channel and his interpretation of these Beatles standards. Right. It was great. Don't you think that that's the beauty of a great melody or a great song is that you can do it in a thousand different ways? Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. All right. So these three records really Mm. spoke to you. At what point do you start to translate that to an instrument? You you bag the piano because... Yeah. There's no fun when you have to play this bullshit. Well, the stuff that they were feeding me was, was... just not my bag right. at all. So um, I would sit there listening to the TV or watching the TV, and then there was this, I'll never forget this, this commercial uh, for Legs Pantyhose. Oh, my. And the tune was Short Shorts. We wear short shorts. Yeah. And it was just the 12-bar blues. Yeah. So I figured it out and played it, and then my dad was like, wow, you just figured this out. <laughs> okay. Maybe you should take guitar lessons. <laughs> yeah, and this is in in New York. This is in on Long Island in Hewlett, Long Island. Long Guy Long Island. Long Island. Yeah. Where 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 exactly again? Uh, Hewlett. So Hewlett it's in Nassau County. So okay. South Shore, not that far away from Queens. Okay. And how long did you stay there? Or no, sorry, Brooklyn, Brooklyn. So South Shore, the the uh, western part of Long Island. Okay. And you grew up there, grade school, high school? Grew up there until sixth grade. Uh, we moved to Connecticut when I was in, going into sixth grade. Okay. So started in middle school in, in Connecticut in sixth grade, in Easton, Connecticut, okay. which is north of Westport, north of Fairfield. Yeah, 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 yeah. A very rich, has a very rich musical history. <laughs> I mean, Mayer came out of Fair, Fairfield. Fairfield, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, Schofield. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So here's the thing. My parents split in 79. My dad moved into Manhattan, back into Manhattan, and uh, we stayed in Easton. 
but I would spend the weekends with him in Manhattan and the week uh, mm-hmm. at my mom's. And so on the weekends, um, on I'd take the train down to Grand Central and uh, usually take a cab from Grand Central to his apartment on 82nd and 3rd. And I would, the Upper East Side. Yeah. And um, he'd go to sleep that night, Friday night, or maybe Saturday night. And I would sneak out and go downtown. <laughs> okay, no, I'm 13, 14, 15 years old. Go downtown to the jazz clubs. Right? No shit. And and I'd take in all, all the heavyweight, the heavyweight, Man. uh, um, Stuff down in Din in Greenwich Village, and I'd come back at you know four in the morning, and he would never know. And what what to were this the day, clubs? <laughs> well, he knows now. <laughs> <laughs> um, the clubs were um, Blue Note, mm. um, Vanguard. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What were the other ones? Yeah, there were well, a bunch. Uh, yeah, all, all the all the joints in, in Greenwich Village. And, and and do you remember any any cats that that just were blazing, and you're like. Oh, Several years later, Mike Stern had Monday nights at the 55. Wow. Um, and this was before that. Um, but the the guys that really made an impression were uh, Breck, the Breckers, Michael Brecker. <laughs> uh, to this day, Michael, uh, the, the most consummate, well-rounded, mm. um, studied, Hmm. exploratory mm. musician that I think I, I have ever known and will ever know is Michael Brecker. Mm-hmm. Is there a particular song that really stands out to you that he did or does or, you know, he, he did a version of in a sentimental mood where he played mm-hmm. the Iwi, the mm-hmm. electronic wind instrument. Mm-hmm. It's just right. Where did this come from? Right. Where? songwriter as a as a vocalist i think i i need a song mm-hmm. i need a refrain i need i need a catchy hook i yeah. need a thing but i also love i also love jazz and, and and i can point to the first time hearing kind of blue mm-hmm. and being fucking laid out like that that was it mm-hmm. you know and i and i i knew i couldn't do that but i knew that that would inform what i did the difference between you know, I'm singing a song, here are the lyrics, here's the chorus, verses, we're going to explore something, we are going to, and let me take you on a journey, like, I feel like those are kind of two different things, do you agree or disagree, or is it the same shit, I don't know. Uh, the thing that I think, it, it, you, as as you're saying that, is in in the jazz genre, or the jazz milieu, it's, 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 space and note mm. selection and and all of that mm-hmm. but it really is the same thing in pop and folk and songwriting in the confessionals like james taylor it's it's giving the lyric it's giving the melody space to breathe and live and sink into your heart your brain your soul mm-hmm. 
it really is the same thing. And mm. the you know the thing that really means the most to me is um, when those genres get together mm-hmm. and mix. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever heard it, but on one of Brecker's last albums, he had James Taylor sing um, The Nearness of You. Hmm. Hmm. And it's killer. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, Grolnick, I think it was Grolnick is on it. Um, you know, a bunch of heavyweight jazz guys, but it's a ballad. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if it, it's kind of a cliche, but it's really true. If you want to test the, the metal of a musician, don't give him giant steps. Give him a ballad. Right, right. Let him blow over a ballad. Right. And and let it and try to make it to mean something. Yeah. That's the shit. Right. Yeah. So so what happens after New York? Um yeah, do high school and stuff in, in Connecticut and then um I go to um the University of Hartford. Mm. Which is actually Hartford is where Pride Meldo is from. Mm. Um and I, for the first year, I was a jazz performance major. Mm-hmm. I was technically in the music school. Uh, and I switched out after freshman year because I saw these monster mm-hmm. professors, musicians, um, barely making a living playing jazz. I knew that that wasn't for me. Right. Um, I, I, don't, I, I didn't think I could be a slave for my art. Right. Huh. Um, huh. The chair of the jazz department was Jackie McLean, who was an alto player in the 50s and a contemporary of, of Charlie Parker's, of, of Kurt. Oh, my God. And um, uh, I'm still friendly with all the guys that I went, went to, to heart with. In yeah. fact, one of the guys, Tony Leone, is now the drummer for Little Feet. No shit. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that. I'm a big deadhead, mm-hmm. and I spend a lot of time at my pool just relaxing. You know, now that you know we've been talking about this, like things are quieting down in Phoenix, and mm-hmm. I'm not working as much, and I'm very thankful for that. And I'll go to the pool, and I'll put on a, a live record from the Grateful Dead, let's say 77, and it'll run it down, mm-hmm. and then it'll start, to, the algorithm will start to feed. And what I've realized is that if I don't know the song that this algorithm picks out, it's always Little Feet. It's in that it's, it's in that genre, yeah. you know. But and I'm like, man, why don't I know more about Little Feet? And what an incredible band! And had had a vibe. And anyway, I I I'm like a I'm like a budding Little Feet fan. There's a lot of crossover there, and yeah. you know, The Dead. I was just listening to an interview with um, Branford Marsalis, uh-huh. and he played with with The Dead and The Dead and Company and stuff. Yeah, and um, you know, he's he. Uh, I I like to think his his mentality is similar to mine in that you know, fuck the dogma, leave right. the dogma outside the door, right. Take the music for what it is, what it's worth, what 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 it is to the audience, and um, you know one of the one of the big takeaways from that interview was, um, never play above your audience. Huh. Huh. Don't 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 play math music. Interesting. Because you know? um, there's there's the song, there's yourself, there's right. the audience. Right. If you're playing live, there's always an audience. So you 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 can't you know, blow 64th notes. Well, I'm doing this on the guitar, right. but um, <laughs> uh, on, on the horn, uh, it, it just it, make it mean something for the audience. Yeah. And he told the story about Steve Cropper. He played um, a benefit concert with Sting at, I think it was the Beacon in New York. Nice. Uh, for the rainforest, Brazilian rainforest. 
and it, the night was a Stax tribute. So cool. Steve Cropper was was part of the band, and they played. Um, I put a spell on you. That uh-huh. the old classic, uh, yeah. classic tune, and that w- it was one of the tunes where there was a a, a horn solo um, scribed down on the chart, and so he played this horn solo, and it was nothing you would expect Branford Marsalis to play. It was guttural. It was bite the reed. It was uh-huh. it was you know full throated. And um, after a solo, he said, Steve Cropper turned around and he, sa- and he said to Branford, where are you from, son? <laughs> As a compliment, because he didn't know Branford at all. Right. But he, his solo was, was on point for that song. Right. So right. Uh, that, that's, that's my point. I like to think that, that I, I try to do that. Uh, I don't know if anyone ever really does follow through on their intentions when they're, when they're playing live. But... That that to me is really important. Serve the song, serve the lyrics, serve the singer if you're behind a singer. Right. Um, and don't play above your audience. If if it's an audience of pop people, you know, play right. for them. They're there. They paid they paid their ticket. They they paid their money. Play the head. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like George Harrison. Right. Half his solos were really just embellished melodies. Right. 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 But they are the most memorable. Yeah, that's that's what you sing on the way home from mm-hmm. the show. Yeah, it's that riff on the thing. Um, well, are you a deadhead? Not really. No. Okay. Uh, moving on. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> <laughs> not that I don't appreciate it. I just, I just yeah. it never, it never really spoke to me that much. Yeah. All right. So, so after. All right. So you you, you went to college. Yeah. And, and now and now what's happening? Oh. Like yeah. So. Um, Freshman year's done. Um, and you bag you bag music. I bagged the degree, but yeah. I still played of course. with all the same cats. You have to. And, you know, all the, the, these guys that I'm still friendly with. Chris Fisher is now keyboard player for Spyro Gyra. No shit. Yeah. Um, long time coming. Guy gutted it out for a long, long time. Yeah. Playing, you know, borderline gigs. And, and now he's got his due. I'm so happy for him. That's awesome. Um and Mike DeRubo uh, is doing the straight ahead jazz thing, playing alto in New York, and he's wow. got a bunch of albums, and he's 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 hitting his stride. Wow. Um, so I switched out, and the other thing, the only other thing that I really ever wanted to do professionally was automotive journalism. Huh. So I switched out into the arts and sciences college and got a degree in music. Uh, sorry, a degree in English. And a degree in English, modern Irish playwrights as a specialty. I don't know why I ended up with that, but um, what, what what was it about? What, maybe talk to the connection between music and the automotive world. Is there what, what's the thread there? Well, to the journalism thread for sure. Yeah. Uh, creativity, mm-hmm. um, bringing something new to to the product that you put out in the world. Yeah. Um, to the to the automotive thing um like did, did you grow up like with cars like 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 you know what like what's the connection there i didn't really grow up with cars although you know after well after he had died i never met him my grandfather uh turns out he was kind of a car head he was uh-huh. he was he had really unusual cars for being an american in the 50s in suburban new york he had a a Humber and a, which is a British thing, and a Lincoln Capri, which was. Did he bring it over from the war? Like, was he? No, a, no, 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 no. no. Huh. He, he served. Um, he never served overseas. He he was part of uh, a specialized police force. Uh huh. Um, 
And in fact, my grandmother's car years later still had this little little uh, badge on it that that, uh-huh. that that I guess he had put on it after, before he died. And, and it was, I forget what, um, civil defense. Civil uh-huh. defense is what it was. Uh-huh. Huh. Uh, my my grand uncle served in the war. He, yeah, he was a bombardier in the Pacific. Wow, he trained to be on the Enola Gay, but he didn't get get the gig, as it were. Jesus. But he never talked about his he never talked about his his service and his experience. Yeah, and um, he he would I, I don't know this firsthand, but the stories are that he he would wake up in the middle of the night, cold sweats and screaming yeah. and stuff. So cars was kind of a new thing for you. Cars, I don't know. I guess I was just born with a car gene because when I was a kid, I used to cut up Car and Driver magazine and put the pictures on the wall in my bedroom. And, Interesting. And I would read the magazine. I would read from from front to back. I mean, I, I read the books that I had to read in school, but uh, for enjoyment, I read Car and Driver. I read huh. Track. I read whatever British magazine I could find because they were way more way more writerly and literary than the, most of the other American magazines. Hey there, I am Boomer. And I'm Pixie Ola. Our podcast, Service Entrance People, is for and about the gritty, underpaid, underprivileged service industry workers of the world. Unite! Day in and day out, we walk through the parking lot of broken dreams. So if you're interested in listening and sharing in the war stories of the, the industry, and if you're curious as to what us, the help, are really thinking, we are going to educate you with stories of the strange, shocking, and hilarious, because last Laughing is the only way that we can think to even try to get our ways through each day. (laughs) (laughs) This industry is one that we absolutely, truly love. And although you'll hear horror stories and rants and bitching that we have to work at work because that's the kind of petty betty that we are, we kid because we care. You can find Service Entrance People on all major platforms as well as YouTube and would like to say thank you for tuning into my friend Brian Chartrand and the So The Story Goes podcast. I've known him for longer than he or I would admit. And yes, he is that cool in real life. What's up, y'all? My name is Tanner Sigfort, owner of Groove Booking, and I have a podcast called Great Exposure. First of all, thanks for listening to So the Story Goes. Brian is a great guy, a friend, and this is a fantastic and very well done podcast. The title of my podcast, Great Exposure, is a play on the term us musicians have always heard when being lowballed for a gig, followed by, but this gig is great exposure. I am a professional musician and booking agent, and through the years I have met so many amazing entertainers. I created this podcast to have open format conversations with the artists and DJs I have the pleasure of working with. Being that my guests are always artists of some sort, we typically talk about music and the industry. However, sometimes we get on long, drawn-out conversations about very random topics, and that's where I really get to see their personalities shine and I get to know them on a deeper level than just their music careers. And that is my favorite part of the show. I appreciate Brian featuring this ad on his podcast, and I really hope you enjoy Great Exposure. Available on Spreaker, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Now, back to So the Story Goes. We're getting off track. Jim. Well, okay, so... I blame the whistle pig. Okay. (laughs) Or I celebrate the whistle pig. Yeah, let's celebrate the whistle pig. Um... If I had to really, if I had to think about the correlation between cars and music, there's yeah. there's there's a creative element mm. to both, obviously to music, but there's a creative element to cars too. Design, yes, um, aesthetic, yeah, absolutely, lines, yep, yeah. Um, and then there's the behind the scenes engineering, mm-hmm. 
which you could consider the the nuts and bolts of of music theory of mm-hmm. chords of vocal stacking of of uh chord progressions of um arranging um so there's the there's the pure creative element and then the pure nuts and bolts element mm-hmm. and it's a blending of both mm-hmm. really yep what's the next step after college uh, after college um I I got a job at a magazine company, uh, a publishing company in New Jersey called uh, CSK Publishing, and they did um, sort of hot rod and drag racing, muscle car type magazines. Um, but all through college, I I played with different bands, um, you know, in a function band, a wedding band, a society gig mm-hmm. band. Um, and some fusion bands. And and what kind of tunes were you playing? I mean, like the standard at that time, you know. I mean, you know, <laughs> Wang Chung. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um let's let's do that tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody have fun tonight. Um you know, all, weird song. all the to- yeah, it was a very weird song. All the top forty tunes of the day. Yeah. You know, the Peter Gabriel So that album, that was uh. a lot of stuff on that album. Um <laughs> that and you know the wedding band we had to do every genre there was right. we had to you know, I don't know why but we had a bunch of um, requests for polka tunes in this wedding band so in Hartford it this was well all around Connecticut okay and sometimes Long Island okay um, <laughs> the keyboard player after we came back from one set the keyboard player we'd, we'd start playing this you know mm-ba, 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 yeah. mm-ba, mm-ba, and the keyboard player would say and it's polka time <laughs> my request <laughs> never forget that well just just to let everyone know that it wasn't your decision to to play that uh, no just uh, as a festive thing i got you and then everybody you. would get up and dance and <laughs> yeah but uh that was oh man, it was a fun band. I mean, yeah, you know, people people shit on on those kinds of gigs, you know, wedding gigs and bar mitzvah gigs and stuff. But right. we had a fun time. I bet you did. Yeah, yeah. And the bread was good. And, and and like, what else are we trying to do? Like, we're just trying to make some bread, have some fun. Mm-hmm. Like, we got it. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And I was playing guitar and bass back then, and. Uh, Sometimes more more in college, I played more bass than guitar mm-hmm. with with those guys at Heart School of Music. Mm-hmm. So I I had a, an old BMW 2002 at the time, and I took the passenger seat out so I could fit my bass cabinet in mm-hmm. where the passenger seat was. <laughs> and I never put the seat back in. So whenever we went out somewhere, everyone would have to sit in the back seat, <laughs> and there was nobody on the floor, right? Unless someone was willing to sit on the floor and get jostled around, right? Right. Um, so so when did you leave Hartford then? 89, 90. Okay. And went to? Uh, back to Southern Connecticut. Okay. Um, and started working at that that magazine yes. company, CSK Publishing, in Saddlebrook, New Jersey. Yeah. And I would commute from Connecticut to there. Gotcha. It was about an hour and 10 minutes. Um, and then was at CSK for about four years. And then got a phone call from someone at Peterson Publishing in L.A. Peterson Publishing was the company that started Hot Rod, Motor Trend, Skin Whoa. Diver, all these specialty magazines. Wow. Um, and I got a call on the phone and set up an interview on the phone. And the next call back, I was hired. So I was hired over the phone 
to be tech editor, technical editor on Chevy High Performance Magazine, mm. which was part of sort of the screwdriver, what we used to call screwdriver books at Peterson, the Hot Rod, Carcraft mm-hmm. type, type magazines, and was there for several years. And my office was really cool. The office was on 6420 Wilshire Boulevard, and I could see the Hollywood sign hmm. over this way hmm. to the east. What was that? I mean, what was that move from from Jersey to to L.A.? I mean, was that like a complete mindfuck, or were you like? I, I've always been adaptable. Mm-hmm. I could live basically almost anywhere, mm-hmm. uh, and I was way open to it. Uh, I, you know, I thought, holy shit, you know. Peterson Publishing is is the biggest automotive publishing house in the country. Hmm. They do all these magazines. I don't know, hundreds of magazines. Hmm. Um, so I was chuffed <laughs> yeah. to be hired over the phone and uh, to to parachute into this this you know heavyweight um, automotive journalism magazine. Had automotive you, culture. Had you been to the West Coast before? I mean, like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. all right. I traveled some. Got you. Um, and uh, so I was tech editor on Chevy High, and I worked. I, I worked for all of those those screwdriver magazines mm-hmm. uh, as the editor. So, so people would as tech technical editor. So, tech, okay, tech editor. You. So I would write the the really techie sort of stories, like engine builds and dyno mm-hmm. tests and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And race car builds and suspension stuff. I I was it was great for me because uh, I was not a hot rodder. Mm-hmm. I was not a natural hot rodder. I was not an engine builder. I was much more of a sports car guy. Hmm. Um, autocross, which is a form of motorsports where you run around a, a track that's denoted by pylons in a parking lot. Hmm. That was my first foray into motorsports. And then road racing, so uh, circuit racing, like a, a proper racetrack, like. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, Road America or Watkins Glen, if you're from the mm-hmm. Northeast, you know, yep. Watkins Glen, that sort of racing, not straight line, not oval track. Got you. Uh, so I was this road race guy amongst a whole crowd of hot rodders and drag racers, which was great for me because I learned from them and then they learned from me. Yeah. Um, it's sort of this cross pollinization thing. Wow. I, it, it was, uh, it was a great situation. Yeah. And how many years did you spend in L.A.? At Peterson in L.A., I was there for about three years. Mm-hmm. And then I got a job um, that started, I started a new magazine in Northern California, so I moved to San Francisco, Marin County, uh, called Bimmer. It's a BMW magazine. Hmm. And a very small publishing company called Press Periodicals. And uh, was editor-in-chief of that. I put the the prospectus together and, and all that. Yeah. And I was there for about three years. Yeah, and and going. I'm I'm assuming that you're going to shows and and being a part of the music scene at that point as well. Uh, in L.A., yeah, I played with a couple of different bands when I was in L.A. Um, mostly R&B, soul, and funk. Mm-hmm. Um, but after a while, I, I I put it on the back burner. I put music on the back burner. Yeah, uh, just because I got really busy with with writing and journalism. And yeah, photography and stuff. And then I moved to Northern California, and I really didn't do much music in Northern California at all. I don't know why. Because, where, where in Marin? Uh, San Rafael. Okay. Um, because if I was really thinking about it, I should have spent way more time in Oakland and the, the Bay Area music scene, right? which was still really fertile then. And what, what, what are the years here? This is 96 through 99. Mm. Mm. 
So after that, I got drafted into, uh, I say drafted, I, I got <laughs> compelled to uh, join Mercedes. So I did PR for Mercedes. No shit. <laughs> back east. So I moved back east um, in Montvale, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So I lived in New York and, and uh, worked in northern New Jersey. So I was at Mercedes for six years doing product PR. Did you ever get to Stuttgart? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, before that, when I was doing Bemmer, I used to yeah. fly to Munich. There was a <sighs> flight direct from SFO to Munich. Played in, uh, stayed in the um, Kempinski <sighs> in Munich, which was a great hotel at the airport. Um, I mean... I'll never forget staying, <laughs> going to the... I'm sorry. No. Going to the Marienplatz. <laughs> Take your time. In yes. Munich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the morning and having Weisswurst <sighs> and sweet mustard. Ah, and a beer. Say no more. <laughs> ah. It's Weisswurst, no. Süßer Senf, mm-hmm. and in Eberweizen. Eberweizen. Yeah, that's yeah. what I am talking about. Oh yes, yes. A sausage, some sweet mustard, and a beer. That's breakfast. Yes. Enjoy your day. Yes. I am such a fan. Sit there and watch the world go by. Oh, my God. Watch all the dogs let's and the Marion plots. Let's go. No, he bloods. And then, you know, the train out, out to there, you'd have to pass through. Um, they announced the town name. Alberg Moose. <laughs> Alberg Moose. So I, I, never, ah. I never really had conversational German. I knew more technician right. Deutsch. <laughs> um. Which I, awesome. I wish it was the other way around now. Right. Well, you know what? You know what would be a gas if you and I went to Germany? You with your technical German shit and me with my conversational German shit. I think we could get it over and we'd have some fun. It's all compound nouns, though. It's like Nachwellensteuerung. Right, right. Variable valve timing. Nachwellensteuerung. Right, 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 right. Nobody right. would know. It's just, you know, a couple of engineers at the at the mechanic shop down. Great, the and you can have those conversations. <laughs> but then when we go to the bar, oh yeah, or f- for some food, mm-hmm. I'm your guy. Yeah, I got you. But you know, the, what kills me is the 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 German compound slang, like uh, von Lusche, um <laughs> what, uh, what was the other one? Um, uh, oh, um, oh, I forget it now. <laughs> It's you know so what long. you know what you need? You need a couple fucking Hefeweizens right now. Yeah. Yeah. Or right. I have a I have a couple Bitburger. Bit mm-hmm. the, the the Pilsners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have a bunch of schnapps. I'm telling you, man. I never touch schnapps. I can get you I have bad experience with well, schnapps. Well, you've probably had shitty schnapps. I have really good schnapps. Just saying. <laughs> Just to get you in the right mind frame. <laughs> oh, I remember what it is. Hanschu Schnabelwefer. Hanshu Schnabel Weffer. Hanshu Schnabel Weffer. Weffer. Hanshu. So Hanshu is like a glove. Mitten. Glove. Yeah. Uh, Schnabel is uh, uh, not Nebel. Nebel is fog. Schnabel. What is Schnabel? Some form of snow. Okay. So like a mix maybe of, of uh, okay. Uh, Hanshu Schnabel Weffer. Weffer. Oh, werfer. Werfer. Thrower. Yeah. Okay, so what is that? One who must throw snowballs with gloves on. Or, in other words, a wimp. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
To this day, I have a friend, a colleague who I used to work with at Mercedes. We just call each other Hanchu. 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 That reminds me of a great German saying, which is, if someone is, uh, like, like uh, someone is, um, what's the best way to describe it? Just like young and, and doesn't know, doesn't have his shit together or her shit together. You say, that person is nicht trocken hinter den Ohren, which means they're not dry behind the ears. Mm-hmm. And you're like, hold on, how does this fucking work again? They're not dry He's behind the ears. They're not, they're not dry behind the ears. So they're wet behind the ears. Yes, yeah. they're wet behind the ears. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's nicht trocken hinter den Ohren. Anyway, let's take a break. Yeah. We need more of this whistle break. Yeah, mm-hmm. and talk music. But you can't say that you know me well. In a day when we were friends I haven't seen him for a year or so I heard him in and out, so stony goes Well, we've been delaying this next conversation for some time (laughs) (laughs) The inevitable The inevitable The inevitable (laughs) Give me your first Steely Dan memory the first time you heard it was it on vinyl was it on a cassette uh it had it would have had to have been on the radio on WPLJ or WPIX in New York one mm-hmm. of the, one of the you know the big radio stations in New York when I was a kid um but the first the first album that I bought the first Steely Dan album I bought was Royal Scam <sighs> Um, and this was, this was when I was already way into, way into the guitar. So I mm-hmm. picked apart everything on that album mm-hmm. and figured everything out and all that stuff and, you know, cop licks and stuff. For me, it melded everything together and lyrically it was mysterious. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I still don't know what they're talking about. Oh yeah, I mean you know that, that's 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 a whole book unto itself. Right. Steely Dan lyrics. Right. What do they really mean? Something really resonated, and and so what was that moment for you? On Royal Scam? Sure. I mean, pick a record. Like we could go for days. I, I mean, that's I, the problem. I guess the thing that really hit me first was how well it was recorded, and mm. I didn't know the terminology, how to put right. it into words, but it was so clear, yeah, and so rich. Mm. Um, you know the the guitars, Larry Carlton stuff wasn't too loud. It wasn't too soft. Interesting. Um, so a lot of production value, yeah. spoke to you, but but pure in a way, yeah, pure in, in in the same sense that the Rudy Van Gelder stuff of the fifties and sixties of the straight ahead jazz records that are that are inspirational to this day. It, the same level of purity and you know Mm. many years later i realized that they both really treasured those albums Mm. for many reasons one of which was how they were recorded by rudy van gelder in in englewood new jersey um shout out shout out um (laughs) yeah yeah and and actually van gelder kept his recording methods pretty secret how he compressed stuff and how he mic'd stuff but anyway the royal scam thing was um it was it was it was just so fertile and so uh rich with 
um, I'm gonna, I'm information gonna, on, on, on how I was learn how I was yearning to form as a young guitarist and as, as it, it, the chordal structure of their stuff. Yeah. It also introduced me, not that I knew what the fuck it was, but, uh, poly chords. So uh, chords that, you know, uh, maybe were a normal major triad on the top, but. And an alternate bass something, on the bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah. like a, a C major triad, but with an F in the bass. Right. Slash chords. Uh, which is interesting because I only learned that through James Taylor. Mm-hmm. Like he loves mm-hmm. the D over E. Oh, yeah. Or, and I don't know anything about uh, theory. I know that it sounds good. Well, you do. You just... You may not know the wording or the terminology, right. but you know what it is. I know what it is, and I know it enough to know that, man, that sounds good when you do that. Oh, yeah. And they were crushing that, and I just pulled up Kid Charlemagne. Yep, the solo, yeah. Everyone goes to the solo. The Caves of, of Altamira, Altamira yeah. is one of my favorite songs. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why, mm-hmm. because... And that descending chord progression at the end of the at the end of the chorus is, you know, okay. Imagine me like this twelve year old, <laughs> budding guitarist. But all major sevenths, right. all major sevenths, except for like one or two dominant sevenths. Yeah, and then a, a raised nine. Wow! Oh my god! I recall when I was small how I spent my days alone. So I went and found my own I would climb the garden wall With a candle in my hand I'd hide inside a hole of rock and sand On the stone in ancient hand In a fake Moving on, uh, Don't Take Me Alive mm-hmm. Signing Stranger mm-hmm. The Fez mm-hmm. Green Earrings Yep. Haitian divorce. Yeah. Everything and that, you that, did. That, the, um, I mean, Jesus. That man. voice box part on Haitian divorce yes. was, yes. Um, uh, uh, I forget the guitarist's name, but that voice box part was added later. No kidding. It, the, 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 I think the, the recording was, that track was run through a voice box after he actually played all that stuff. The Royal Scam stuff, um, I figured out the solo to Kid Charlemagne. Oh. It was probably one of the first real chewy, nutritious mm-hmm. solos that I figured out. Um, and I wasn't, I don't think I was cognizant of who played it. Mm-hmm. Even though I read liner notes like crazy. Right. right. When, when I was, a, when I started to take guitar seriously, I didn't want to be a rock star. I didn't want to be, you know, the, the front man. I have no interest in that. Mm-hmm. I read the liner notes. I read all the credits. I wanted to be the Will Lee. I wanted mm. to be the Hugh McCracken. I wanted to be the Larry Carlton. I mm. wanted to be the the Anthony Jackson. I wanted to be the guy who the big name turned to mm-hmm. for advice on what I should do with this tune. Here's my idea. What should I? Here's the melody. What chord should be behind this? What what reharmonization? How mm. should I, how should how how can I how can I trip up the listener on the first first go through, but then it's sticky enough so that they come mm-hmm. back? Mm-hmm. And what what just happened there? Yeah. 
and, and and that sort of thing. So I ne- I absolutely never. I wanted to be the sideman, like you know, right. Mel, our, our mutual friend Mel's right. email is sideman, sideman. Right. I right. wanted to be a sideman. Yeah. That was the shit. I yeah. wanted to be a studio musician. I wanted to be the the guy who could walk down the street with nobody noticing him. Right. But the guy who the Van Morrisons or the Billy Joels or you know the the big name guys turn to the yeah. McCartneys. I mean, McCartney is pretty i think really friendly with Mil- will lee but nobody knows who will lee is you know you right. and i know who will lee is right but that's what i wanted to be we we jumped ahead because we got excited because we listened to some steely dan yeah. on the break yeah. but um all right so <laughs> where do we leave, where do we leave off <laughs> uh when did you move to arizona how about that I, okay yeah i moved to arizona in 2011 actually. okay um i my last gig my last job in new york was i was the product pr manager for jaguar land rover that came to a close um not of my doing and <laughs> aka I, fired yeah yeah <laughs> I, I was you could say i you, you know could, what i was fired you could, you could say fired on yeah the i was fired i was fired because i would not give press cars to Top Gear BBC in Colorado, uh, out of the LA press fleet because they were not going to use them in the show, they were support vehicles. Uh, so I was doing PR for Jaguar Land Rover, yeah. I was the PR one of the PR managers. And the fleet really boiled down the press fleet, the, the fleet of cars that the company had in different cities throughout the country was ultimately my responsibility. I was not going to give uh, BBC these cars uh, if they weren't going to be on camera, if they weren't, you know, going right, to be part right. of the production, as and in, yank them from like Motor Trend, right. who was going to do that stuff, right? And it came to uh, loggerheads with with England. Top Gear is our our biggest outlet. It's a really big outlet for the U.S. too. But those cars were merely support vehicles. They'd never be on camera ever, right? And they'd come back filthy, broken. They'd need you know ten thousand dollars of reconditioning afterwards. So I said no, and that went up the flagpole to different people. And they said no, we really need to do this. And I said no, fuck you, no. <laughs> this doesn't benefit me. This isn't my job. This is your, if you want them to use these cars for support and come back trashed. Okay, you fly some vehicles over. Right. Fuck you. Right. Right. Anyway. So I mean, not to get emotional about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm still sore. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> um. Anyway, so yeah. So I moved here to. Uh, I I got a job with Fender. I I made, had made some contacts a couple of years before that with Fender, and they were looking for a new director of communications. So I uh, came out for an interview, got the job. And and moved out, so I was director of communications. So I had, uh, let's see, I had PR, uh, product information, all the marketing material for mm. for well every brand under the Fender umbrella, which was I mean a Fender, thousand right Fender I mean, Gretsch Jack- yeah Gretsch, Jackson, uh, Charvel, um, all the um, KMC brands like. I can't even remember all the brands. I mean, Fender's, but like been—it's a house of brands. It, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, I mean, the biggest uh, ones are Fender, Squire, Fender, right? Uh, Charvel, Jackson, Gretsch. Um, actually, at the time, Hamer was still part of it, but yeah. Hamer's disappeared. Yeah. Um, and then I feel it, like that was like an '80s brand, like an '80s Hamer. Yes, it was. It was more visible. It it was its most visible in the eighties, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, Andy Summers used to play a bunch of hammers. Oh no, kidding! Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, the guy who started Hammer, Joel Danzig, is still a friend of mine. Great Danzig. Guy. Danzig. So anyway, Mother. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See you. So I'm director of communications at Fender. Okay. Um, I didn't realize that. That that yeah. that's it. I mean, like, kind yeah. of. Uh, uh, Works with all your interests. Oh, right? yeah. 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 Um, Mother. So, you know, marketing, communications, PR, social media, consumer analytics, mm-hmm. and a, a sort of a tiny piece of artist relations. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had the most assholic boss I've mm-hmm. ever had in my life. Oh, my. He, he expected me to do his job and mine. So mm-hmm. my job... I had like, I don't know, 12 direct reports, but he had like something like 60. Mm. And he would go off to China with the CEO of the time. Uh, and he was he was not in the office. He didn't even live here. He lived in California. He lived in Burbank. Mm-hmm. And he would be here for maybe one week a month or half a week a month. Uh, didn't get along with him at all. N- not many people did. Mm-hmm. Um, he will remain unnamed. I probably shouldn't. Say his yeah, name. yeah, but it's Chip Johnson. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so anyway, I was there for three years. Yeah, and then after that, I hung up my own shingle. Yeah, started. Yeah, my own journalism thing, speech writing. Uh, Love it. Analyst. Yeah. Um. Uh. Largely journalism, but and, and to this day, still. Love it. Yeah. And so doing both, right? So 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 still a part of the automotive community and mm-hmm. and the music community yeah. because i i see you all the time at the local jams at 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 whether it's the cock and tails or womack and you're and you're working with a bunch of people mm-hmm. and you're still out there making music yeah. and 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 still being creative in everything that you do which is really awesome i am and my actually my father <clears throat> told me this several years ago um, that I am I am a creative. I'm not a uh, a manager, although I've I have been a manager mm. at a couple of different companies. Um, I'm a creative at heart, and mm-hmm. you know, my best output is yet to come. Hmm. Hmm. Both writing and music. I have a bunch of my own. Material, my own oh, yeah. charts that I've yet to record, that no I've shit. Yet, yet to do. In the back of my head, I want to do a uh, like a a gig at the Nash mm. with all of my original stuff, which is instrumental music. It's, yeah. There's no lyrics. Well, there's one song that has lyrics, but um, oh, did so, you write the lyrics? Yeah, yeah. Can you tell me the premise? The premise is a dad who's not at home enough. Is that based on your life? Yeah. 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 There was a period where I was doing a lot of travel for work, for journalism. And um, the the name of the song is Absent Toys. Hmm. 
And hmm. when I do record it, it will be very hard to get through it. My big creative outlet is not something that yet has sort of seen the light of day. It's my own, mm. my own shit. That's awesome. Um, someday it will. Yeah. It'll, 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 it'll get, it'll, 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 uh, come to fruition and, and ripen and, and see the light of day. But, you know, even the, the gigs that I do with, with, we were talking before about Stephen Powell or with, uh, at Eddie V's and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not super creative. Uh, you right. can, you can get creative with it, right? but that's not the most creative. You're really serving the song and, and right. the audience and the, exactly. and the singer. Um, and you know, filling that, that channel. Yeah. Um, so you can get creative with that, but that's, it's, it's not, you know, a hundred percent hyper creative. Right. Um, the, the greater creativity is, is with my own stuff, which is instrumental for lack of a better term, jazz, Mm -hmm. um, groove oriented but harmonically really adventurous Mm -hmm. that sort of thing on any gig you're you're given an outline of of what you have to the bounds Mm -hmm. so a song like uh any one of bill withers tunes Mm -hmm. you can veer off into very very adventurous harmonic areas Mm -hmm. with songs that are relatively simple right um that's really rewarding yeah um i don't know why but often on bill withers tunes um but you could say the same of 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 a of a car review um you know you have to hit all the the particular points of you know the drivetrain the interior the Mm -hmm. this the that 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 um the technology the interface the the convergence of technology in the car Mm -hmm. um so yeah you you critique the 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 critical points but how is that to deal with on a human level? How do you how do you interact with that, with that technology? Is it is it mm. is it uh, presented in a in a humanistic way? Is it presented in a in a way that you can work with it easily without having to read the owner's manual? Like the current Mercedes Benzes, all you have to do is say, "Hey, Mercedes," and the system wakes up. The, right. the the native system in the car wakes up and says, "How can I help you?" And you say, "I'm cold." And it will raise the the temperature in, on the climate system. There are there are ways to treat that as as a more creative writer than the basic subsistence um, reviewer of of the day. I have this thing called song versations, conversation starters about music and life and it's a bunch of these little cards conversation starters and I wanted to read one for you and then we can discuss you're returning home after three months in Europe as your plane touches down what song plays in your headphones the boys are back in town (laughs) I don't know why that just came to my head in my mind I love that song. Yeah. I love that song so much. <laughs> uh, what would mine be? I don't even know. Or maybe Home at Last. 
Home at last. I like the boys are back in town. That feels right. Yeah. I mean that's in with the with the solely solely section of the guitars in unison. It's it's just fun. Jim Resnick. Brian Chartrand. I appreciate your time. I appreciate yours. And I hope that uh, we will find a time to make some music together. Uh, that would be great, man. It'd be fun. That would be let's great. just all let's just only do Steely Dan though. I'm totally fine with that. I am totally fine with that. <laughs>